we won't be able to reclaim it. We won't be able to see it. People may forget that it's there, but it really is aimed to be discovered. And at that point, our future selves will make sense of this object. Welcome to Science with a Twist, a podcast for curious people who enjoy exploring how science impacts our daily lives. From technology that helps the fight against COVID-19 to solutions that help clean the water we drink is all thanks to science. In each episode, members of Thermo Fisher's scientifics team talk to experts who are on the cutting edge of redefining how we exist. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to Science with a Twist, brought to you by Thermo Fisher Scientific, the world leader in serving science. This is Dae Hong and I lead the laboratory products business at Thermo Fisher. By providing researchers with critical equipment and consumables for a wide variety of applications, we outfit labs around the world with the tools they need to perform vital research that is propelling science forward. For today's episode, I'll ask you to step back in time for a moment. Growing up, you might remember creating a time capsule and filling it with meaningful mementos and objects representing your life, environment, or the era. You probably buried it in the backyard or a secret location for future generations to discover. Today, I'm joined by Dylan Vitone, Mark Baskinger, and Matt Zwicker, a team of talented artists from Carnegie Mellon University who are behind one of the ultimate time capsules, the mysterious and innovative Moon Arc. Today, we'll be discussing what the Moon Arc is, the rigorous design and development process that prepared it for a long journey to space this fall, and the role that the laboratory products team played in making this journey a reality. Described as half conceptual art project and half time capsule, the Moon Arc aims to represent a current depiction of the planet and its people for humans to discover and learn from in the distant future. First started in 2008, the project has grown to include 60 team members from 18 institutions and over 250 contributing artists, designers, educators, scientists, engineers, choreographers, poets, writers, and musicians. So thank you all for joining us today. So Mark, can you uh, tell us a bit more about how the Moon Arc got its start and how you all ended up involved? Sure. The Moon Arc began around 2008, uh, late 2008, early 2009, as a conceptual project that would join Carnegie Mellon's first attempt at building a lunar lander to go to the moon at that time, 2012. And it was originally seeded by the Google Lunar X Prize. We were one of the competing teams that over the years did rather well with seed funding and support, enough support such that CMU was able to spin out a new company called Astrobotic, which is a private spacefaring agency uh, located in Pittsburgh. And so Astrobotic became the carrier the designer of a lunar lander that would take commercial and academic and all sorts of private payload to the moon, while its main mission was to create this ferrying operation to move between the surface of the earth and the surface of the moon in a consistent basis, more like a shuttle. The payloads, which we were one of, are going there for scientific or cultural purposes. And so the moon arc was a conceptual idea concocted by a few faculty members here 
namely some pioneering faculty members, Red Whitaker in the Robotics Institute and Lowry Burgess, former Dean of the College of Fine Arts. And their thought was that if Carnegie Mellon were to go to the moon, that it can't just be the sciences and the technologies and, and that side of campus represented that surely the arts would have something to contribute. And with that open prompt came a, a large call for participation, lots of inquiry and exploration and a lot of dead ends. When you are given the moon, lots of people show up and would love to participate, but the realities of getting to the moon and meeting space worthiness and requirements are incredibly challenging. So with our group, the moon arc concept was the most viable and seemed to be the most poetic for this initial voyage. So I joined the team in late 2009, working closely with Lowry. And shortly after that, Matt and Dylan joined as well. The three of us teach together in the School of Design at Carnegie Mellon. So this was a natural pairing for us to, you know, bring people who already work closely together to work even closer together for, for a few years of intense conceptualization and, and development. What we learned early on in the project was that the moon was not four years away at that point, but it was a TBD destination. So as Astrobotics spun up from Carnegie Mellon and became a viable institution, the Lunar X Prize uh, sort of fizzled. The teams that were competing and made it to the later stages sort of bowed out because of the technical requirements and the aggressive time frame. But the, again, the seed funding got us to a point where Astrobotics spun up, initiated some rover projects on campus and allowed us to conceive of the moon arc. And since then, you know, that was roughly 13 or 14 years ago since its inception. Yeah. So it was a project that was indefinite, but we, the three of us had, uh, along with Lowry, a very accelerated timeframe. So by 2015, we were fully conceived, fully built actually, and ready to be installed on the lander. Awesome. So Dylan, what can you tell us about the actual design of the moon arc? You know, how can something so small capture all of what earth has to offer today? And how did you decide what should be included? Yeah. Um, it was incredibly tricky, um, paralyzing at times, the, just the responsibility. And uh, we realized early on that you know, there was going to be things left off and we just couldn't, you know, be accountable for everything. The analogy we oftentimes use is moving through a city and that idea of, you know, you might hear some different languages or, you know, smell poetry or, um, you know, like, so moving through kind of a complicated space and making this sensorial kind of experience of what it's like to be on earth now. So the moon arc is essentially four different, quite small chambers. So we have a total of nine ounces that's divided over four different chambers. Um, the size is a little smaller than half of a Coke can, as far as like scale goes. And there's four different chambers to kind of speak about the complexity of being a human now. So the first chamber is loosely kind of about the earth, you know, specifically, you know, it's the most kind of representational kind of where we're from. So there's rock samples, there's plankton. You know, so very descriptive of the earth right now. The second chamber is what we call the metasphere. So it's kind of the space in between 
the moon and the earth and how we build connections as human beings now. Um, the third chamber is about the moon and the moon being this aspirational kind of creative muse for so many of us. And the third or the fourth chamber, sorry, is kind of the ether and it's kind of everything past the moon. So getting into kind of existential questions and things that we don't fully understand is, you know, a humankind right now. So there's four different chambers. Um, and each chamber has kind of consistent components. So there's an aluminum cage that wraps around all the valuable contents. There is murals that go around that essentially create a basket with imagery on it. There are sapphire discs that have been laser engraved with platinum. And there is gold bezels that kind of hold content from the earth. So maybe a perfume and maybe sap from different trees from around the world. Maybe there's water from the different oceans. Maybe there's, yeah, so a, a variety of different kind of earthly samples. So there is the cage, there is murals with imagery, there is laser kind of nanoscale laser etching on sapphire discs. And then there is what is called the same stanchions that are beautiful, kind of exquisite sculptural art made by Mark Rooker. So each of the four components are kind of made up of those different each of these four chambers are made up of those four different components. Well, it's amazing what your team's already accomplished through this program. I mean, we were really excited by the opportunity to get involved and marry our scientific expertise with your team's artistic prowess, to make sure that this beautiful yet fragile device makes it to space intact. So Dylan, can you uh, speak to this partnership from your end and the significance of marrying art and science for this landmark project? Absolutely. So. We've been working on it for a long time and we very much went into it as like creating this aspirational, beautiful objects that we would then give to the moon, like give to the moon and gift to the moon. We want it to be beautiful. We want it to be aesthetic. We want it to be really just a beautiful object. So we went about making it with no real like knowledge of what it was going to take to get it there. So, you know, the, do anything in the world you want. And so we did anything in the world we wanted to. And then when it came time to put the rubber to the road, we're like, oh my goodness, it has to go through all this different rigorous testing. And to be honest, it's just like outside of our area of expertise. And so we started having meetings with Astrobotics, you know, once every couple of weeks. And they started kind of giving us the list of all the rigorous testing that they had to do, it had to do and kind of meet in order to get put onto the lander. And it's kind of comical in a lot of ways that like, we would have this elaborate object with water or sap or pollen or, you know, all these things that they might be looking for right next, like they're actually might be sending up devices to the moon to look for similar things. And so our project couldn't fail endangering everybody else's project around us. So we had to do a whole lot of rigorous testing and just wasn't in our purview. It wasn't in our expertise. And so we had to reach out to partners and we happened to have a student deny who was one of my favorite students that I've ever had. She's just like this phenomenal student that was working at Thermo Fisher at the time. And so we reached out to her, just like, you know, personal relationship. Denai, we need help, please. And Denai started sending around a bunch of emails and rubbed in a bunch of people. And the folks at Thermo Fisher kind of stepped up immediately and just incredibly generously and provided us with some of the, you know, the, the thermal vacuum oven that we needed to run tests on. So essentially we had to cook this moon arc, um, in order to make sure nothing was going to off gas. And we didn't have like a, a very precise laboratory. We didn't have a very precise, um, you know, mechanism to do all this stuff. And 
Thermo Fisher kind of stepped up and provided us all the equipment we needed to run these kind of rigorous tests. That's awesome. So knowing that the Moonarch is an irreplaceable artifact and you've been working on it for over a decade, Matt, can you tell us a bit more about the testing process and what was needed to prepare the Moonarch for its expedition to space this fall? Yeah, sure. I, to kind of build a little bit from, from what Dylan was, was explaining, uh, these, these ideas that, that we had the reality set in pretty early that there were certain processes that this object would go through the trip to the moon, the conditions of the moon. And we had to make sure that this object was absolutely prepared for that. I would say most specifically because we're hitching a ride to get to the moon, the equipment that's being used for this particular flight, we had, we had to make sure that none of our components would damage any of their equipment. And so that was, that was pretty primary concern. Any of the payloads that are a part of a mission like this need to, um, we knew that we had an object that was unique enough to where we were going to, I don't know, possibly encounter some, some unexpected issues and or concerns. And we really tried to compensate for it throughout the process, the entire way through. It has a lot to do with, with the fact that our object has like a, a good amount of handmade components that are a part of it. Certainly plenty of machine processes that are a part of it. But Mark Rucker, who Dylan had mentioned earlier, sculptor metal worker that made quite a, quite a bit of contribution to this project. He, he had to micro weld these two bezels that Dylan was speaking of that contained various samples. And it was pretty amazing going to visit and watch him actually do this under this, you know, monitor zoomed in significantly, getting to see like the intricacy of, of the work that was a part of it. But the biggest issue that we were encountering in the future, well, that we knew we were going to eventually encounter would be, you know, would those micro welds be strong enough and would, would they be consistent enough to be able to sustain the, the sort of rigorous trip that the arc was going to go through the, the temperature swings couple hundred degrees above, couple hundred degrees below the freezing, the heating, the, the pressure changes, all of that stuff. And, um, if any one of these two bezels were to fail, it could damage any of the equipment that helps to make sure that all, all of this makes its trip, its flight to the moon, like fogging sensors and different things like that. And so the bake out became very crucial for us, all the various samples, they underwent a vacuum test as well as the temperature test through the vacuum oven. And it helped to make sure that, well, to, to absolutely confirm that what we had was going to be prepared properly and that there wouldn't be any issues along the way. And so it was a very crucial part of the process. In addition to a lot of other you know, tests that we had to go through, vibration, shock, and, and so on, mechanically speaking. That's oh, fascinating. So, I mean, it's not every day that, uh... Our team is asked to replicate the conditions of space travel. So this was a fun project to be a part of, for sure. So uh, Mark, tell me what's next for the moon arc now that you've made certain it can handle the journey to the moon. Well, the object itself is presently installed on the lander deck at Astrobotic. So the, they're fully loaded with all the payload. They're finishing integration of certain components to be ready for a, a fourth quarter launch in 2022. So it's right around the corner for us. And, um, you know, the moon arc is an interesting object when, you know, at the beginning of this, 
you listed the breadth of participants and collaborators that we have and, you know, everything about it is so grand, yet the object itself is so small. And that's really a lesson for space travel that you can have all the ideas and all the participation and all the wonders, you know, that, that go into creative practice, but the realities of getting something to space in a correct way. You know, we can just shoot something up there, of course, right? With no eye towards consequences, but we're trying to leave a very light material imprint on the moon, yet we're trying to create a message that endures for thousands to tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of years for when humans will next discover this object. And so, you know, there are challenges at every turn. And when, you know, our background is not in space art or the rigorous equipment, you know, that is in space, you know, we, we, we design things, but not to that level of precision and so forth. And so, so the challenges are Herculean, you know, at every turn with this project and it's with, you know, partners like Thermo Fisher that, you know, as Dylan mentioned and, and Matt has said too came in at the right moment where we would have hit a roadblock with the bakeout had it not been for Thermo Fisher to provide a vacuum and oven. And so we could find a place for a vacuum. We could find a place to bake it up to temperature, but it, it's the coincidence of these two things that are so important. And the object actually changed during our test. We lost color in some of our dye sublimated murals, they, they did change in their pigment. And so what that showed us is the advanced aging and everything that we predicted materially for the object was coming true in the oven. And we could see that over a few days of critical testing and, and doing this bake out. And now we can predict for not only moon arc, what it's going to endure and what it'll be like when someone sees it the next time, but for future projects too. So had we not gotten through the bake out successfully, we would not have an object onto the lander. So it's just another point that I wanted to, you know, reiterate here that the criticality of Thermo Fisher coming in at that, that point was really key for our project. But yeah, so, you know, one other note would be that there are two moon arcs. We made a second twin in parallel with the primary. In fact, the primary wasn't the primary until we did the bake out. We had to choose a set to go and. And we did, but its twin is now in the Smithsonian at the National Air and Space Museum in the permanent collection. And so, um, we do have one version here on earth that we can see, and we will very shortly, ideally have one on the moon that will be lost to time. We won't be able to reclaim it. We won't be able to see it. People may forget that it's there but it really is aimed to be discovered. And at that point, our future selves will make sense of this object that again, the complexity and the richness of everything that we brought together into this very, very small object, ideally beckon someone to unpack it and to begin to decode and make connections across the natural artifacts, the art, the metalworking, the materials, everything that's included in there to give them some impression of who we are not by name, but who we are as creative practitioners and who we are as, as humans and, um, almost as a timestamp for today. Wow. That was a fascinating conversation and background. So thank you again, 
Dylan, Mark, and Matt for joining us today and sharing your incredible story about developing and testing the moon arc for space travel. And thank you for bringing Thomas Fisher on the journey. Now, if any listeners are interested in learning more about the moon arc and its journey to the moon later this year, you can visit www.moonarts.org. That's M-O-O-N-A-R-T-S dot O-R-G. I would like to thank our guests from the Moon Arc team for their time today. By combining art and science, it's amazing what we can achieve together for future generations to find. Until next time, this is Science with a Twist. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Science with a Twist. This show is brought to you by Thermo Fisher Scientific, the world leader in serving science. If you enjoyed this episode, then follow Science with a Twist wherever you get your favorite podcasts.